welcome once again to Cinemaholics. We are listening to a song from the soundtrack of Toy Story 2. Not Toy Story 4, but we all love Toy Story 2. And this is an episode where we're going to be talking about the Toy Story movies. I'm John Nagurney. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I write books sometimes. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics. And don't worry, he always listens to his inner voice. It's Will Ashen. Hello, John. Hey, we have a special guest this week. He's a writer for comicbook.com. He's joined us on the show previously for a bonus episode. Welcome to the main show for the first time, Charlie Ridgely. What's going on, guys? Charlie, it's so great to have you back and in uh in in, in a big episode, you know? Like Serenity was a was a, was a oh, smaller yeah. one. Probably our least listened to episode of the year. <laughs> Not because <laughs> of you. Of I course. wonder why that is. Yeah, it's true. it's one of those movies. I don't think uh I don't think the listeners were were ready for Serenity and in, in a way a lot of audiences were not. Oh man. I I was so disappointed. I bought that Blu-ray and there was no special features on it. And all I wanted was to sit down and listen to every piece of commentary (laughs) possible. And there was nothing. That's got to be coming eventually. I don't know know who's paying for it. I bet the direct, I forget who it is. The guy did lock the writer director was just like, you know, they don't need a commentary. I think the film (laughs) speaks for itself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is our serenity bonus episode that came out in, I think late January, early February. So you can definitely find that. Uh, in our archives or on cinemaholics.com where you can find all episodes of Cinemaholics. You can also write into the show anytime. Send us an email whenever you want. Let us know what's on your mind. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. As always, there are two huge ways you can support us. And, you know, recently we've been getting some support in this way. We really appreciate if you can go to Apple Podcasts, if you have the time and you have the the love for this show, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and that would be so helpful for us. And then, of course, you can support us by becoming a patron as well. Go to patreon.com slash cinemaholics to get more details on that and all kinds of perks and things that you can get. Speaking of which, we do have an extra milestone coming up. We are going to be talking about the movie Alien. And if you are a patron of the show, you'll be getting access to that episode early and probably uncut in some ways because we just we don't have time to edit it. And so that's how it will probably go down. But yes, you'll definitely want to hear our conversation on Alien. We'll have Sam Nolan and hopefully a special guest on that episode as well. Have you rewatched Alien yet, Will, for the show? Not yet. No, I'll have to do that tonight. Okay, yeah, I, I, I do as well. Instead of watching Alien, I've been watching tons of Pixar movies. But I did find time to rewatch Chinatown because I am going to bring up that extra milestone because... Obviously, I we're, we're going to try to hopefully include more film anniversaries since it, it just feels like one per month. It's just not enough, right? Yes, so uh, yeah, yes, that's your way of saying you're going to talk about Gremlins and Muppets Gremlins. movie. Uh, Muppets movie, yeah, yeah, Muppets movie for sure. Uh, oh yeah, well, so you have a, an announcement for another podcast? Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so as the listeners may or may not know, I do a side project. I think I called it a pet project for you uh, off the air. That oh, is geez. called um, An Ogre Totes Ogre, which is uh, the podcast I do with Matt Serafini and Christopher Sheridan, where we once a month watch a movie throughout the year, and then we kind of dissect it in different ways. Uh, this is our halfway episode for the season three, or season three, 2019's episode, our series. And uh, we did it with Wyan Duncan from Garth Gab, who uh, I think is only fitting because I don't know if I mentioned yet that we're doing Garfield the movie this month or this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's a really fun episode and hope people check it out. Are there other Garfield podcasts? I know you probably don't want to mention your competition on the air. Not about Garfield the movie. I think there might be yeah. other podcasts about Garfield, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't really do the research on that. I probably should have, but oh well. All right. Well, good to know. I just wanted to get a little bit of inside baseball 
on the on the Garfield podcast universe. So, all right, that's it. Ain't ogre till it's ogre season three episode six. Looking forward to confusedly listening to that. <laughs> confusedly because um, you haven't seen that movie in a long time, or because our conversation is just oh pure so many so many reasons. Well, I don't I know see. how to narrow it down. Sure. All right, Will, you saw a couple of movies this week that, again, I, I had no time to really watch anything except for Toy Story 4 and a bunch of other... Like, I didn't have time for a lot of new content this week, but you did manage to catch Anna, which I missed my screening for. Uh, that was That's the new Luc Besson film. What, what What's the deal with Anna? Should should we go check this one out in theaters? Um, yeah, so I did see Anna, um, Luc Besson's new film. Um I don't know. It's definitely him trying to harken back to La Femme Nikita, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Or La Femme K- Nikita? More or less. Yeah. Um, yeah, his earlier days. Obviously, also the success of Lucy, uh, Leon the Professional. A lot of films that center around um, strong female protagonists kind of kicking ass and taking names. Uh, this one, it's a little weirder because um, it's made... Pretty much in the style of Red Sparrow. I guess they were making it as that film was coming out. Well, they made it in the aftermath of Atomic Blonde, right? Which was the... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, because Atomic Blonde comes out summer 2017. Like you're saying, this movie, they started production like after that summer. And after Valerian did not do so well that summer. Yeah, no, definitely. It is definitely a response to Valerian in that uh, you can tell that he's kind of going for a smaller film that is a little more in his wheelhouse. Something that would be a guarantee for success if only uh, he wasn't caught in some controversies related to um, some allegations made against him that I think are definitely going to cloud this film. And I think it's a big reason why people probably haven't heard about it. If they have heard about it, it's probably only in passing. So the film itself, um, it's really just okay. I do think the lead actress shows promise. I think this would have been, under better circumstances, a good career builder for her. Sasha Luce, correct? Yeah, that's right. And she was also in Valyrian. I think she was the one alien at the beginning with like the coins and stuff mm. um, and motion capture. But yeah, as a film itself, uh, it's just okay. It's definitely, I think, a little more convoluted and uh, time hopping than it should be. I think it, it tries to be a little sillier and fun in certain moments. I think that's where it's a little more interesting. For instance, I think going into this movie, I was expecting uh more like action shooting and i was as leaving it i was hoping for more of the like modeling subplot that is in the film <laughs> because uh the lead uh person or lead actress she is uh, a model i guess turned actress and there's a lot of like satire about the modeling industry and there's like a montage obviously where she's like shooting some like photos and obviously shooting people it's like you know kind of on the nose but it's like one of the few like kind of cheeky fun moments where the movie kind of lives up to its uh potential and yeah, it just feels a bit like a missed opportunity. It's not terrible, but knowing Luc Besson's other films and uh, it just feels kind of like he's doing a lot of like C-level territory for even something he's kind of been proven to do a lot better. So yeah, I gave it a C plus. Okay, yeah. 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. So most critics, mm. they're not into it. They're, they're not loving it. But a B plus yeah. cinema score, which for cinema score is pretty average, I guess. So that sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right, yeah. All right, that's Anna. And then none of us went to see Child's Play because... Okay, so my reason for not watching Child's Play was very simple. I've never liked these movies. I have no interest whatsoever. I don't care if it's getting good reviews. I just don't like that Chucky doll thing. And I know it's a buddy this time. And just that kind of horror, like, I don't know. I've never connected with those movies. But 
I don't know, Charlie, were you ever a fan of this franchise? And if, if so, or if not, I mean, what's going on with this, with this child's play thing? Why, why did you decide you're not going to check it out? Or are you going to check it out soon? Um, I would have checked it. I, I'm not the biggest, I'm not a big fan of the child's play franchise. There's other slashers that I much prefer to this. Um, but I do, I like the idea of the campy kind of goofy style. Um, and this movie has two of my favorite leads or in, you know, actors in leads in Brian Tyree Henry and Aubrey Plaza and, you know, them in kind of the main adult roles in this movie. I'm very interested in, uh, I'm actually, I flew home this weekend, uh, to just outside of Baltimore where my family's from, um, to visit. And so we flew out on Thursday night. Had I not flown out on Thursday night, I probably would have caught a, a late preview screening for child's play. Um, and check that out because I am interested in seeing it. So hopefully this week I can get out and uh, get out and check it out. But because of the timing this weekend, I uh, I wasn't able to. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of our some friends of the show have seen it and have liked it. Some have seen it and hated it. So yeah, very mixed response I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's very divisive. Which I kind of I like movies like that where I can kind of at least yeah. feel something. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's either going to be good in a bad way or bad in a good oh, yeah. way or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's Child's Play. We won't be talking about it on the show this week, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to have someone on soon who can who can talk about it. If the listeners want that, I don't think anybody was really clamoring for Child's Play. <laughs> we did get a listener comment asking if we would cover it. And on that note, uh, Annabelle comes home. This is the next big wide release for this week. We have an interview coming out later this week about that movie. Uh, we're going to have a conversation with the director. And so keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm not sure if we're going to put that part of the main show or maybe put it out as some bonus content. So look out for either form. And I know, Will, you saw Annabelle Comes Home. So did uh, Sam Noland. And I, neither of you can talk about it quite yet because the embargo is not up. But... Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just going to mention you saw it. That's all we can really say. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't dive into it too more. It would have been really fun to do Anna than Annabelle, but yeah, <laughs> alas. And also, it being another sentient doll movie that we were talking about. Although I saw the other one, the other sentient doll movie, The Boy 2, they, they moved that to December. Oh, they just mm-hmm. knew, like, this market's getting way too uh, satirized. <laughs> like, you know, Saturated, the tale yes. of Brahms. The tale of Brahms, it needs to wait. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, I am laughing because I remember the only thing I remember about uh the boy the first one, other than it being really boring, is that like I think there's like a scene where like a single tear like rolls down his cheek. If I remember correctly, it might have been completely wrong on that, but I just like to imagine like as the date is being moved, like that tear comes down his eye yet again. So, uh, poor Brahms. See, I'm I'm way more <laughs> of an Annabelle fan, uh, as you know, as we've debated in the past. So I don't think I'll be watching the boy too, but I will definitely be seeing Annabelle comes home. All right, yeah, I'll be I'll be excited to talk about it with you because I'm guessing if you're seeing it, we'll have a pretty good discussion about it. That's all I can say. All right, speaking of listener questions, we did get a really juicy one this past week. Uh, we did get a lot of really good feedback, and and one of the things somebody asked us, or well, okay, so something somebody mentioned was they liked that we had a little bit more of like a topical discussion in the lead up to our review, and kind of in that spirit, somebody asks a question that has, I think, some some interest for a lot of listeners. What are your favorite movies of the year so far? So briefly just touch on, you know, it's been six months, almost seven. In 2019, we've seen, between the three of us, a ton of movies and lots of overlap, obviously. But I know between the three of us, there are definitely some films that have stood out much more so than others. And let's talk about them. Start with you, Charlie. Uh, what are a few of your favorite movies of 2019 so far? Um, I mean, I think 
across the board, like the best movie I've seen and my favorite movie I've seen has been Booksmart. Uh, I think that movie is so funny and so genuine and so, so well directed. Everything about, I've seen it twice now and everything about that movie start to finish, I'm totally in love with. Um, Toy Story 4 is probably up there for me. I really love that movie. Um, John Wick. Uh, I like Guava Island a lot on uh, on Amazon. The, uh, the it was it was a it was a bit shorter. It was about an hour in runtime with uh, Donald Glover and Rihanna. Uh, it was one of the most gorgeously shot things I've seen all year long. Um, and I probably you might share this with me, John. I'm a big fan of Unicorn Store. Oh, on, yes, uh, on Netflix. Finally, love Unicorn Store. Uh, there's been a, actually some good Netflix movies this year. Always Be My Maybe is another one I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and uh, as weird as it is, and as many issues as it has, uh, I'm a big fan of the Beach Bum. Ooh, I thought you were going to say Serenity, but okay. Me too. I thought you. Were <laughs> I mean, I still. I lo- you all know that I love that movie. I, it's not one of my favorites of the year, but it holds a special, okay. strange, weird well, place in my heart. We know that it's another Matthew McConaughey movie. You're putting the beach bum in there as a placeholder. <laughs> well, that's it, it's the great. Right it, both those movies were total bombs at the box office, and they're probably McConaughey's two best performances on the movie. Don't you mean total bums? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, total <laughs> bums. Yeah, beach bombs. <laughs> um, yeah, but oh, I mean, I do think yeah for. Uh, the issues I had with Serenity, I do think he was quite good in that film. And I do agree with you that Beach Bum is one of his best performances, probably top 10, top five even. Yeah, he's he's very good in that movie. And he, I mean, even when the story falters a bit, the characters are just so out there and, and crazy and fun to watch that it it really keeps you engaged. And it's kind of a, a Lebowski for the new millennia in, in, a, in both bad and good ways. You know, uh, we live in a very, very different world than than Jeffrey Lebowski existed in. And so this is yeah. a, a no, sorry. 2019. No, you're, you're good. I'm, I'm trying to find my words there. Kind of a 2019, what that would look like. I think. And um, as, as much as I love the big Lebowski, that kind of resonated with me a little bit. Yeah. I was thinking it was like big Lebowski for the Jimmy Buffett crowd. Oh yeah. The parrot head Lebowski. Yeah. The parrot heads. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it. Absolutely. Other films you mentioned. Yeah. I haven't seen Guava Island yet or the beach bomb. Which And those are two things. I have Guava Island downloaded on my iPad. I'm ready to watch it. I was going to watch it on a plane ride, and then I ended up watching Monsters University instead. Sorry. But I am going to catch it soon. And then Beach Bomb, I think I saw that it's it's on maybe Prime Video or something like that. It's out on Blu-ray right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that you can, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's streaming too. But I, yeah, I'll probably take a look at that in the near future. I was unsure, because as much as I love the song Crimson Clover, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much of that I can handle for, for the runtime. But. <laughs> Hmm. I, I think the performances make it make it worth it. Even if the story isn't awesome, the characters are so out there. And while Martin Lawrence gives a great, weird performance in that movie. Yeah. I, and also, yeah, Booksmart, definitely in my top 10 of the year, if not top five. Yeah, very high up there for me as well. And then Toy Story 4, that's probably in my top 10. Kind of looking yeah. at it right now, I, I think it could, it could fit in there. It would be the, uh, that's the only blockbuster or closest thing to a blockbuster I have on my top 10 of the year, which is very weird. You mentioned like a lot of streaming releases and it, it has been not the best year for like animated sequels and big event movies and things like that. But regardless, Will Ashton, what about you? What's your, what are your favorites of the year so far? Yeah. So I don't have a, um, outline top 10 exactly. I have a top four pretty solid, but other than that, um, the movies that I have floating around in my best of right now, uh, include under the silver lake, Really did enjoy that. We had an episode about that with Corey Woodruff. I definitely yeah, recommend checking that out. Yeah, I'm glad you like that as well. Um, John Wick Chapter 3, really got kicked out of that. Um, Horror Noir, a documentary oh, on good. Shudder. Yeah, that's on my top 10. 
yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, I also had Guava Island and Booksmart on there as well. Uh, and Toy Story 4. Paddleton, Happy Death Day to you. And then Dragged Across Concrete, which might be, I guess, the most controversial one I'm yeah. going to put on here. Hmm. <laughs> um, I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can recommend it to you or who I can recommend it to because it's definitely a hard sit for a lot of people. Even if you like the film, it's a hard sit. Mm. But um, I will say, I think its reputation as being the, this like magna fantasy is way off. It's not that in any sort of way. In fact, it's pretty critical in ways that's trying to go against that. And I think just even though I don't really agree with a lot of its politics, I think as far as a piece of like pulpy entertainment, uh, with really solid acting, some strong um, set pieces, and some real good uh, dialogue character beats. Uh, I think it's definitely one that has stuck with me throughout the year. So I think if you think it's your thing, you can check it out. But that's one I have kind of a, a caveat, which is that I can understand if it's not somebody's deal. But for me right now, my top four are as follows. Uh, Her Smell, which I've talked about already, the Alex Ross Perry film with Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. Maybe the performance of the year for me right now from Elizabeth Moss. Uh, a really nice kind of John Cassavetes-esque uh, character study from him. 70s grim- grimy rock vibe to it that really has... Uh, it really took me for a loop, and I definitely would recommend that if you check it out. Uh, Climax, which I know John may never see, so <laughs> I can say whatever I want about it because he can <laughs> neither confirm nor deny. No interest whatsoever, but maybe eventually this year. I'll, I'll get to it. I would definitely, I mean, that one is one that I know you may not like it, but I still think you should check it out just for the experience of it. Because I think on a filmmaking level alone, it is super impressive. Even if you don't really agree with the content, you find a lot of it objectable, which is totally valid. That's that's not where, well, that's not really where my interest, it's not like I'm offended by anything that that movie apparently is going to have. I just, it just doesn't seem like an experience I want to have personally. But I, yeah, I don't look down on anyone who looks at that as uh, as a fun experience. Yeah, I mean, you've only had one Gaspar No experience, which unfortunately was, from what I've been told, one of his weaker films, which is Ugh. Love. Um, so I can't. I mean, I haven't seen Love, so I can't talk about that. But I will say this is uh, the second film I've seen from him after Enter the Void, and thankfully, the two times I've had experiences with. Uh, Gaspar Noe, they've been pretty fruitful for me, I must say. Uh, second, I have Us, Jordan Peele's uh, horror film from earlier this year. I know you're going to talk about that more, John, so I won't say anything else other than that right now. And then um, this is a new one, guys, because initially, like until yesterday, Us was my number oh. one pick. Uh, yesterday, I saw what is right now my favorite movie of the year, uh, and that is Long Day's Journey into Night. Really? Um, yeah, which is a film I believe actually came out elsewhere in March. It only came out maybe actually April or, uh, or earlier later than that. I don't exactly know when it came out. But um, yeah, it just came out in our area. Saw it yesterday, and it is an amazing experience. Um, I don't know if you guys have you, you have neither of you have seen it, right? No, no I, I'm, I'm looking it up now because I don't even know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, really? I saw that it was it was on the AV Club's best films of the year. Yeah, it's uh, this guy. I, I, I apologize. I don't know the filmmaker's name, but he's like a 30 year old guy. This is the second movie. Uh, Gun, a, Gun B. Gun by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is like a, I don't know how I can really describe it. It's like a mix between uh, dream and reality, basically exploring how we use films and storytelling to cope with loss and regret. And the film is definitely harkening a lot to its like kind of noir influences, but the film has a, one hour single take that wasn't 3d unfortunately it's on 2d but uh it really is just like 
the most visceral movie experience I've had all year, and it really took me aback. So uh, for me, that is definitely my number one pick right now. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that when it came out at uh, Cannes last year, so about a, a little over a year ago, and so it's just now, I guess, hitting... I, I want to say maybe on demand or maybe it's getting a limited release in the States. I'm not sure, but yeah. interesting. Yeah. Interesting that this didn't have an earlier release or it didn't get on anybody's radar until this year. So, yeah, I mean, um, I have seen a lot of very favorable reviews for it, but unfortunately it is. Yeah. Kind of uh, more in the art house scene than anywhere else. So I'm really hoping people, especially our listeners check it out. I think they'll definitely get something out of it. All right. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of films that I've seen and some I haven't. I, definitely Her Smell is one that's still, I'm still waiting to see it. Hasn't hit my area yet. And there are a few other films that have come out in limited release that I haven't had a chance to see as well. I, I think, uh, well, not just Her Smell, but there, there's a few others. But as far as the films that I have seen that I'm really excited uh, to share, I, I know I've talked about The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I, I've talked about that plenty forgot to include that I, I wasn't even sure if you liked that one or if you what, what do you thought no I, I quite like that sorry i didn't uh, i forgot to include that on my list so i apologize uh the, the the forgotten movie i guess but yes i i'm looking forward to seeing it again it's now in limited release that that's far and away my favorite of the year and i think that it, it is interesting like every year it seems like a24 just keeps dominating a lot of the films on my list because right now my number two number three it's between high life and us I love both of those films, and High Life, of course, is another A24 film. And then there's Book Smart, which is uh, Annapurna, so we've got at least one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, really, really liked The Farewell. Uh, that That's in my top uh, four at the moment. Oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that movie. I'm waiting for it to have a release. Mm-hmm. Same here. That is just that is just a very high-quality film. Just a really good film about family and, and a really great entry for, for Lulu Wong. And she is just such a fantastic filmmaker. And it's one of those personal stories that uh, really sticks with you. And I know I've talked about it on the show already. Uh, I've already talked about this one as well, The Report, uh, which is going to be hitting, I think, limited and wide release later in the summer, maybe around September. And that that's the uh, Adam Driver and Annette Bening film about the the CIA torture report and that just one of those, like all the president's men spotlight is really good. It's not journalism in this movie. It's actually like a very dedicated, you know, government person who just kind of sees this, this possibility to like stack up evidence and create a report that sheds a light on something that happened in our recent history. And I think uh, Chris Evangelista brilliantly characterized it as the movie where people like just rush into rooms and scream at each other with righteous indignation. And that, that is a lot of the report, probably a big reason why I really like it. Uh, Book Smart, as we've mentioned, Horror Noir, and, the, and then a few other films that, you know, besides Toy Story 4, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, the documentary, Mike Wallace is here, a wonder, wonderful documentary, my favorite of the year so far, uh, about that journalist. And To the Stars, which is just this nice, quiet indie drama set in the 19, 1960s Oklahoma. I think it's the 60s. And uh, just one of the few movies that actually takes place in Oklahoma, I should say, these days, like we never get them, and a very beautiful black and white film. And then Amazing Grace. I, I just love that documentary, the Aretha Franklin studio recording. It's it's a lost film that's been restored, and 
I, I feel very bad for everyone who wasn't able to see it in on the big screen, but hopefully if you can catch it in any other format, I highly recommend it. But those are those are just a few of my favorites of the year so far. I know Paddleton, as you mentioned, will definitely my top 15, top 20. That, that film has really stuck with me for some reason. All right, so those are our favorite films of the year so far. Let us know in the comments of this episode. If you have a favorite film, maybe it's one we didn't mention, please let us know what it is. Uh, we'd love to read it. We had a few comments from last week, a lot of stuff pertaining to not really the episode itself, but more of the topic we were talking about, how it's kind of an abysmal summer box office. We had a long conversation about that last week. And sad to report, it kind of appears to be continuing with Toy Story 4. You know, we were really looking at Toy Story 4 as being maybe the the blockbuster that's going to kill the summer curse, really the 2019 curse for animated sequels underperforming compared to their previous films. Because as we are recording this, Toy Story 4 is underperforming compared to Toy Story 3 when adjusted for inflation. We, we were expecting Toy Story 4 to make like 160 to 200 million domestically, but that that is, is nowhere near that. It's going to be finishing out the weekend somewhere closer to, I want to say, 118 million, which, yeah, if you adjust for inflation, that's about almost 10 million less than Toy Story 3 did nine years ago and that that's not great um do do you have any sort of a theory for why toy story 4 might be underperforming charlie i mean you and i talked about a little bit uh, ahead of the show and i think you kind of hit the nail on the head where it's like it really felt like three was the culmination of this franchise um and really a lot of the advertising for toy story 4 didn't really grab me at all you know had i not been as invested in toy story as i am i wouldn't have been as excited about this movie and i think the movie does a great job of completely turning your expectations on their head and it really it really shines above its uh its marketing but the marketing was very very strange the trailers were kind of weird you know it just it was like hey here's toy story come watch it and everyone kind of felt like three was the end um and this kind of I don't know. It, it, it had a very strange approach to it all year long, I thought. Um, and I mean, I'm glad the movie is so much better than I anticipated it to be from that. We'll get into that later. But it, it, I think the marketing really didn't do itself many favors. Yeah, that was it was weird marketing. It, it, I was rewatching the trailers before we recorded because I was curious about this. And yeah, they, they're just very slapdash. They, they feel like they're heavily, heavily edited to appeal to very younger, especially the second trailer. You just really mm-hmm. get the sense that they're really just going for the youngest viewers possible. Uh, did, did you have that same sort of feeling, Will? Or what were you thinking? Yeah, um, I always feel like Pixar movies, unless there's like an example I'm forgetting, I feel like a lot of Pixar movies, after their initial teaser, which are always pretty great, uh, after their initial teasers, a lot of Pixar movies, they don't have great marketing for whatever reason. Like they have this kind of like bombastic, kind of like... Uh, high energy feel, especially of late, um, that I guess tries to appeal to younger crowds. But I often feel that the marketing for a lot of Pixar movies is rarely indicative of what the actual film is, with maybe the exception of like Cars 2. But yeah, but it works. It does work for them, right? I mean, Incredibles 2, second highest grossing animated film of all time. Finding Dory is, I think, the second highest grossing Pixar film ever, You know, it, especially if you sure. adjust for inflation and internationally and all of that. So it, it is kind of weird to me, right? Because those movies did so well past few years. 2019, it's not been good for any animated sequel so far. It makes me wonder yeah. how Frozen 2 is going to do. Lego Movie 2, the second part, How to Train Your Dragon 3. Uh, it, it just seems like Secret Life of Pets 2. Everything is kind of doing worse than the one before. Yeah, but um, to round up my point, I do think with this movie, Toy Story 4, 
like Charlie was saying, I do think there was like a finality to that last movie that people are like, well, why are they even tampering with that? We we got our ending. Andy went to college. Uh, spoilers, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I do think this movie, I think intentionally was trying to skew towards a younger crowd, like you were saying, John. I do think the marketing for the third movie was a little more universal in that I think it was appealing not only to the younger audiences, but to uh, people our age, maybe uh, millennials uh, a little older than us who grew up with these movies movies uh their childhoods were somewhat defined by them and they're like hey now we're coming home like we're we're rounding the bases this is it so uh th- that movie i think had a little bit of a marketing approach that was wider mm-hmm. than this one whereas this one feels like hey you know this is another toy story movie i know we finished up with that last one but hey look at these new characters look at uh look at ducky and look at forky like hey you know like aren't these guys fun and uh i guess i know a lot of people that i've talked to either weren't aware that the movie was coming out this soon or they uh weren't totally enthusiastic about because it it's like why are they messing with a good thing you know like I, I remember during our summer movie preview i was the one that was like you know i i'm not feeling this marketing like i don't think this movie i i was hoping the movie would be good but i was very concerned that uh the movie might be the one that uh, fell short of grace so i don't know if those factors played into the film's underwhelming box office performance but I definitely think that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, it makes me wonder, is this the ceiling that that Pixar sequels can have? It's like if you have a trilogy, audiences maybe just aren't going to come around. Maybe they just aren't going to think that it's a necessary sequel. And I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure we can all sort of agree going into this movie, well, regardless of what we felt afterward, it did not feel like a movie that was necessary for sure. And so I don't know. I, I'm thinking about it and I know that. It, it's getting great reviews. I, I have a feeling maybe word of mouth, people are going to come around and sort of hear like, oh, it's actually really good. You know, the critics love it and all that stuff. I mean, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it does in the next few weeks. It's just heavy box office competition. You have Spider-Man Far From Home coming out soon. You have Lion King coming out next month. Toy Story 4 doesn't have a huge window to make a a lot of money. <laughs> and it's not necessarily any skin off our backs for sure. But it is just kind of interesting. I do think it might have more legs than other films because it is like the rare G rated movie that is yeah. coming out right now. Like I do think yeah, like families, like if they they may not come out this weekend, but they probably want to go to movies at some point this summer and they're probably going to see week, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're probably going to see Toy Story 4 before Spider-Man. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to assume for anybody, but it seems like if there's like a safe bet, it's probably Toy Story 4. Sure. And it, kind of what, what's strange is that, you know, next weekend is kind of the opportunity for Toy Story 4 because there's it, it theoretically should have two weeks of no competition before or two weekends before uh, Spider-Man Far From Home comes out. But Disney's kind of working against itself because they're re-releasing Avengers Endgame next week. And so like they're doing the extended yeah. cut of that, which it, it's not the same audience, but it, it is like the here's the opportunity for Toy Story 4 to thrive. And then they're kind of cutting into it to try and push Endgame past Avatar, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of creates its own competition there. Uh, which which might I don't think it'll hurt Toy Story four much, but it, it just seems like a very odd timing thing for for you, Disney uh, as a whole. You think they're gonna shoot the snake in the boot? Oh jeez, oh, uh, no. so I I felt bad saying <laughs> yeah, it. That was, that was rough. Yeah, I mean, Secret Life of Pets two that's like its only real competition, and that's already fading fast. It, it's not really proving to be much competition at this point. So you're right. Yeah, Toy Story four has a pretty big runway. Let's well, see how it does, but let's actually talk about the movie <laughs> finally. Lonesome 
Toy Story 4, as we've mentioned, it is the fourth Toy Story movie. The first one came out in 1995. Wow, I was five years old when Toy Story came out in 1995. One of the first films I ever saw in the theater. I think it was the second film I ever saw in theaters. And uh, I guess, Will Ashley, I mean, I don't want to age you out or anything like that. But yeah, how old were you when Toy Story came out? Did you see it in theaters? No, I was two years old. So <laughs> if I did see it in theaters, I'd do not remember it. I don't think I did see it in theaters, but it was, I believe, one of the first movies I ever saw because I did, I did see it a lot on VHS when it was uh, on home video, and I do remember that VHS being played a lot of times. So it's definitely, if not the first movie I saw or one of the first movies I saw, definitely one of the ones I rewatched the most as a kid. Yeah, same here. And then, uh, what about you, Charlie? Yeah, I was four when it came out, um, and I I can't remember if I saw it in theaters. Not I feel like I did. Um, it's just, I, but I like Will. I mean, I, I've watched this movie more than probably any other movie in my life. Um, cause as a kid, I mean, I watched this movie so many times. I wore that VHS tape out. Um, <laughs> it, it is one of the first movies that I truly remember seeing. Um, whether it be in theater or at home, that's one of the first movie experiences I remember is seeing that movie. And so it's, it's been with me for a long time. Yeah. This is, this and Lion King were the two movies that I remember mm-hmm. like absorbing the most. Like really understanding the story, the characters, the themes, everything going on. Like Aladdin kind of just went over my head in a lot of ways. And then, you know, there were obviously other ones like Pocahontas and Hercules and all that. But that those came along when I was a little bit older. But Toy Story, yeah, that's that's the that's the movie that really for and it's interesting for us because we don't really know a time before all of these computer animated films. Toy Story was the first computer animated film. It was obviously a forerunner. It was revolutionary. It's the reason a lot of other computer animated films have taken off in the way they have. And it, it, it's it's been kind of an interesting ride for all of these films. You had Toy Story 2 coming out just a few years later in 1999. Big success. Critics loved it. I know Will... Well, you'll have a chance to talk about this, but I know you have a, a soft spot for Toy Story 2 compared to the other ones. Oh, yeah. Toy Story 3, I mean, that, that film came out when I was a freshman in college, and that was mm. definitely definitely very uh, good timing for, for me to see it uh, by comp- you know just kind of growing up with these films in that way, a bit of a tear fest. But uh, I, I don't, I've, I've seen every Toy Story movie in theaters, uh, what, and, and we don't have to get into all of that, but... I don't know. I want to get kind of a feel for where you're at with the Toy Story movies. I feel like we're going to have a lot of the same opinions, probably. Obviously, I've talked about it a lot. I've read a freaking book about Pixar movies. You all know where I'm at when it comes to Toy Story. I spent the last few days just badgering everybody about random Toy Story minutiae. We'll leave it at that. But Charlie, Toy Story, I mean, what does it mean to you? What's What has what this franchise kind of been building up to in your mind? I mean, I, I'm I'm in a similar place as you, John. Like, I get you know, we're we're about the same age, and and that was you know, it came out the summer after my freshman year in college, and so I came home from school to watch this movie with my family, and that was you know, Toy Story three. I mean, and that was a huge, huge thing. You know, these are these movies have stuck with me since I was a kid. They've always been my favorites. Um, you know, Pixar as a whole, but specifically Toy Story, you know, Woody and Buzz of like where Andy had these toys. I never had toys that I was attached to like that, but I had these movies that I was attached to like that. You know, the Toy Story movies were those toys that I loved so much. Like they were the things that I truly fell in love with. And I, and I think a large part of why I love movies so much today is because of Toy Story and because of these characters and my understanding of 
how deep a character can be, you know, animated or otherwise, you know, real friendship on screen, like, you know, Buzz and Woody taught me so much of, of what that is. Um, and I mean, as an adult now, like I still have every bit, you know, as much love, if not more love for these movies than I did as a kid. And they've just stuck with me for so long. Um, it's hard to kind of imagine a world without them. Uh, and I think a lot of my life now kind of hinges on that love for them growing up. Well, please excuse me. I have to go find some tissues while I go on that search. <laughs> Will Ashton, uh, Toy Story 4, uh, or not Toy Story 4. I want to hear about the Toy Story franchise in general for you. Kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the defining trilogies are now series of my life i mean when i think about like perfect trilogies i mean there will always be movies like the before series uh maybe to a lesser extent i guess the godfather only because of part three which i do like but i think compared to the first two i i it would be i'd be remiss if i said it was in the same company but yeah i mean it's really hard i think we've seen countless times you have a quote-unquote perfect trilogy and i do think toy story is about as close as we will get certainly in animation form uh, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's just that that commitment to excellence that Pixar has, I think, was defined by these movies. It's like they it is their brand to many extent. Uh, it's one of the things that made them as a company, obviously, Toy Story being the first film. Toy Story 2 was like what confirmed like, oh, yeah, these guys are the real deal. And for me, I think you were alluding to this. I think Toy Story 2 is about as perfect a sequel as you can make. Uh, I guess that's not a popular opinion. Uh, I didn't realize that until I started talking to other people. I was just like, Toy Story 2 is great. This is the movie that did it. And people were like, no, 1 and 3, which I love 1 and I like 3. But um, yeah, I, I do think 3, rewatching it, um, well, I should say first, I mean, when I saw the first, when I saw the third one for the first time, it was just before I was going to go to college. It was like that summer. So it hit me at just the right time that I really, really loved it. And I was just like, you know, they, they nailed it. This is the perfect ending, which I do think the ending of it is the perfect finale for that trilogy. And, um, while we watching it, it didn't quite hit for home for me as much as it did that first time. I don't think it'll ever really top that first experience. I do think that third movie really did what I need to do, even if it did, uh, reiterate a lot of the same ideas from the second movie i do think uh it just nailed that ending it it wrapped up the series about as good as you could hope so that's why going into four i was pretty nervous to say the least yeah i think brilliantly put these movies obviously we could we could do an entire episode of cinemaholics just talking about all the toy story movies i know i would and because there's a lot to talk about there's a lot going on in all of these movies they're dense they're thematically complicated but they are still movies for kids and they're mm-hmm. they're like like you said pixar not just a commitment to excellence but specifically that excellence is in producing movies that can be approached on equal terms by kids and adults and i think that's what's drawn me to pixar movies so much as i've grown up into an adult and why these films definitely are far more lasting and more rewatchable for me than many other disney films from that era I can't tell you that I've seen a lot of the Disney Renaissance films nearly as much as I have a lot of Pixar films. And there's just a very specific reason for that. And you all know, like I do a Pixar blog. I, you know, I, I write books about this stuff. I I think a lot about these movies and I just appreciate that you can think a lot about these movies without feeling a little silly. All that said, I I rewatched all three movies. I saw Toy Story 4 twice. Uh, I've had a very Toy Story sort of week and I'm a little Toy Storyed out in some ways, but I just, I cannot tell you that there is a best Toy Story. Like, I just, I watch these movies back to back, and they're so distinct from each other. They're all trying to do different things, and I think that is what kind of makes them 
kind of like a, if not a perfect trilogy, then a perfect franchise in some ways. Uh, I, I do want to say for me, two of the defining trilogies, I'd say like near perfect trilogies in the last, you know, 15 years, I'd say the Lord of the Rings movies. And then I would say mm-hmm. the, the rise of the planet of the apes movies. I think those are probably the only two trilogies that I think were consistently good. Not the before series. Well, that too, but you already mentioned it. So I was just trying okay. to add on. I see. Okay. My bad. So yeah, so I'd say those ones, and then yeah, Toy Story. I, I definitely you, you have other trilogies that are you know they're fine, and I don't think you can really look at any of the Marvel films as like really good trilogies, right? Right. I th- I think I honestly think Guardians, when that completes, it will be the easiest to look at as a complete sure. trilogy because the way those stories are crafted and those characters, I think that can be looked at that way. But obviously, we haven't seen how that ends up yet. Um, right. But for the most part, it's kind of like oh, the MCU is one giant thing. Yeah, it's a rare thing. Yeah, and the thing about trilogies, too, is that most of the time, like even if they nail that second movie, that third movie almost always fails to live up to expectations. It's very rare for a third movie to be as good, if not better, than the first two before it. So that's always, I guess, the... Yeah, it, it, it's really hard. And like, I mean, even I, I think How to Train Your Dragon 3 is was a phenomenal finale to that story. I absolutely love that whole trilogy. But even as much as I enjoy those movies and as good as I think they are, they don't hold a candle to me to what I'd look at Toy Story to be. Um, I don't think they really even come close. Yeah, it's, I'd say the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy is good, not great. And then I, w- one of my favorite examples for like, the, there was like a perfect storm for bad trilogies. And that was uh, May 2007. I will never forget. In one month, we got Shrek the Third, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and Spider-Man 3. All came out within a couple of weeks of each other. I will still defend Spider-Man 3, but I, I will acknowledge, you. yeah. I wish that it's not as good. I'm I'm the opposite. I'll, I'll defend World's End forever. <laughs> I I don't hate any of those films. But oh man, World's <laughs> I, End I just don't think crazy. Well, I don't think any of those films are nearly as good as the one before them. That that's where I'm at. So it's like that's what to me defines a great trilogy is like each one they just get better and better. Not to the, not in the sense where you would say like oh this movie is objectively better than the one before it, but you feel like they're all essential. Like. You want eat. You want that film there. It really rounds it out, which is what I think people were really nervous about with Toy Story Four. Is like, how can you add anything else mm-hmm. to this story? We we can add something. Well, no, I was just gonna say. I mean, I think. I mean, not to be that guy, but Trek is like a perfect example of how a trilogy can fall short because it's like those first two movies. They like you know the first one had the foundation, second one escalated a lot of things, and then that third movie just was garbage. It's a bad movie, in my opinion. And I think that's just a terrible example of how a trilogy can uh, fall short in animation yeah. terms. I mean, agreed, agreed. Yeah, but let's let's talk about Toy Story Four. What is this movie about? Obviously, we're not going to be getting into any spoilers for now. So, the the setup is pretty basic. We pick up about a year after Bonnie has inherited Andy's toys, and we kind of learn early on that she's very she's very nervous about starting kindergarten. And Woody, who he's kind of, he's at an interesting point in his life as a toy. He feels like his best days are behind him. He's not the favorite toy anymore, but he still wants to feel useful. He still wants to have a purpose. And he sees that Bonnie, Bonnie's so nervous and she has very clear signs of like social anxiety. And so he tries to help spur her to like creativity on her first day of kindergarten. And the result is kind of interesting. Bonnie ends up making something in class out of a spork, pipe cleaners, broken popsicle sticks, and gum. And once she signs her name on those popsicle stick legs, 
all of a sudden you have a toy. And in this clip, we have Woody who has to sort of explain what just happened to the other toys in Bonnie's room. Here's a clip. Hi, toys. Hi, toys. Oh, he did go to kindergarten. I knew it. No, no, you're no, trying guys, to get listen, Bonnie in the, trouble. No, of course not. You could have been confiscated. What does that mean? Taken away. <gasps> no! Or worse, you could have been lost. No, 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 guys, listen. Bonnie had a great day in class, and we're going on a road trip. Road trip? Vacation! <laughs> but then something really weird happened. Bonnie made a friend in class. What a oh, kid. she's already okay, making so friends. Like... No, no, she literally made a new friend. Hey. It's okay. Come on out. That's it. Come on. There you go. Come on. Let's get you out of there. You got this. Good. Good. Everyone, I want you to meet Forky. Golly, Bob Look how long his arms are. All right. That's just a quick clip where we get introduced to Forky, uh, voiced by Tony Hale. A very great voice performance. And... We, we don't get too much into the plot details, but basically Woody, who he's a seasoned kind of veteran at this point, he has to try to explain to Forky what it means to be Bonnie's toy. Because Forky just wants to go to the trash because Forky doesn't think he's a toy. It doesn't make none of this is making any sense to him. He's a, definitely a surrogate character for a certain type of movie viewer, I want to say. And as it's alluded to there, everybody goes on a road trip. And along the way, Woody runs into an old flame from one of the previous Toy Story movies and on this adventure starts to really second guess a lot of his preconceived notions about what it means to be a toy and what his purpose is. Starting with you, Charlie Ridgely, I know you've already touched on this a little bit. I get the sense that did you did you like Toy Story 4? Were you into this? Oh, I, I just a little bit. Just no, I I love Toy Story for a lot. Um, this was very much the movie that I needed it to be. Um, at at this point in life, which I think is kind of the point. <laughs> um, it is it is maybe the most adult Pixar movie that I've ever seen. Um, like it's it. There's parts where this is a straight up horror movie for kids. Um, and I really appreciated that a lot. But so much of it is about like finding your purpose and understanding where you're at in life and being okay with that. Um. And kind of coming at a time in my life when that's something I really needed to hear. Um, this is a very, a very powerful movie that I was not expecting it to be. Um, it is much less of a kid's movie than, than it presents itself to be in the trailers. And, um, you know, there was at the very opening scene and then at the end, I mean, I was kind of a mess at both points. Um, it was, it was very, very good. All right. So it sounds like you liked it. Okay. Um, Will <laughs> Ashton, uh, what, what did you think of Toy Story 4? Uh, yeah, I mean, we touched on this point earlier, but I just want to say that I think every Toy Story movie in some way or another is a miracle. Like, there are so many ways that every single Toy Story movie could have been a huge disaster. And I think it's no secret that the production for most Pixar movies has a turbulent point, maybe a couple turbulent points. And I think this fourth movie had more than a few. Oh, yeah. And it was just never, even though, like, we trust Pixar, like, I've, I've said this before on the show, but to at least even a mild extent, I like all the Pixar our movies for one reason or another i think they all at least work in some way or another i think it's clear that even their lesser efforts have that precision and that uh pursuit of excellence that we we're talking about mm -hmm. that makes the brand as good as it is 
But yeah, going into this film, I was 100% sure where it was going to land. I just wanted it to be good. Like, that was my only thing. Like, I, it doesn't have to be as good as Toy Story 1 through 3. It just has to be good. And for me, it is. It's a good film. Like, I really liked it a lot. I think the beginning of it with um, Bo Peep and Bonnie is excellent, uh, especially the stuff with Forky, the introduction with him. Um, and I think the ending really justifies the means. I think all that works extremely well. I think the middle segment works but for me that's kind of where you can see where there are a lot of drafts um you can see that there are a lot of characters introduced here and i think there might be one or two too many ideas that uh make it good enough like it's it definitely keeps the comedy high and there's definitely a lot of heightened stakes but i don't think it comes together quite as well to make it as good as one through three but at the same time a good pixar sequel or a good toy story sequel i mean is still way better than basically most sequels out there and i think having this movie be worthy of the toy story legacy is an extreme accomplishment so i liked it a lot all right i liked it as well but i'm i'm going to disagree with you slightly i actually think this one is i think this is actually is really tight i i think that the, i there's just the right amount um, i could see it maybe being a little bit too much for some maybe not enough for others but i i've watched it twice now and i know you've seen it twice now charlie I, I really think this is a tight script, and I wasn't expecting that because you kind of alluded to this. There, oh, yeah. there were there were some development problems. Uh, Rashida Jones and her writing partner Will McCormick left the project at one point uh, due to John Lasseter, um, some issues in the workplace. He's he since left Pixar. He was kind of gradually phased out. There were some claims of very vague sexual harassment. There was something really bad that happened that Pixar and Disney have kept very quiet. And th this was a big reason why I was pretty worried and I was kind of looking for what I think you saw in this, which is just kind of like a hap dash to the finish. But I have to say for me, I was really sucked in by this movie and I, I was ready to sort of look, see past the seams, I guess, or see some cracks in it. And I actually think each section of this movie works very well. I think, especially because we spend so much time in just a handful of locations. There, there are obviously some writing beats that I think are a little bit convenient. Uh, it's a little convenient that they just happen to come across Bo Peep in this area. But, you know, right at the time when Woody needs to find her, but that's the Toy Story movies. It, it's the same kind of thing that, oh, you know, the, the guy who would steal Woody and, and, in Toy Story 2 just happens to go to this yard sale, whatever. Uh, you can kind of look past it sort of thing. I, I really like this movie a lot. I, and I, I want to say that I, I said before, I, I just don't think there's a Toy Story movie I like more than others. I think they all do different things really well. And I like them all almost exactly the same amount. I, I don't think I can put one over any of the others. And I think that's how I feel about Toy Story 4. I, I think it's exactly as great as the other Toy Story movies. And I think it's really good at humor. I laughed like crazy in this movie. And I think the way that they do justify all of these new characters kind of happening in, instead of putting a light on the older characters, which is an, a decision I've wrestled with. I, I miss Rex and Ham and Slinky and those classic characters getting more to do. I miss Jesse having a story arc in some way, but we, it does make room for these other characters to shine. And that kind of prevents the film from feeling stale and, uh, kind of like the re retreading that I think we were worried about. And I like all of these new characters a ton. I think Ducky and Bunny annoyed me far less than I thought they would. And I thought they stole parts of this movie. I thought Duke Kaboom just had a wonderful, wonderful backstory that is just so brilliant. <laughs> and it, it was mm. one of those things that it was like, man, these Toy Story movies, they, there are so many ideas that they haven't even touched on. They've probably tossed out. 
And like the Duke Kaboom one is such a good one because it's like, oh, that's such a good idea for a Toy Story movie. We won't spoil it, of course. And then there's Bo Peep. And I think it was Karen Han who said on Twitter that she's never wanted like two dolls to kiss so badly. <laughs> and and I, I have to echo that sentiment. I, I think that's spot on. But yeah, I, I, this movie really worked for me as well, especially on the second time around. The second time around, I was really enraptured by it. And I want to draw special attention to the opening scene, which I think is one of my favorite stunning. Pixar scenes. It's just stunning. so good. The, the, mm-hmm. Not just the rain effects, which are stunning, which, which I oh, hope yeah. you're alluding to, but just that the dialogue, the conversation between Woody and Bo Peep, the cinematography and that entire moment, and the way that that is a theme that just really runs throughout this whole movie. Uh, that's when I knew we were going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay, as Forky mm-hmm. oh, says yeah. in the trailer, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Toy Story 4. Charlie, I, I understand, you know, humor is subjective, but uh, what, mm-hmm. did, what did you think of the humor in this one? How do you think it compares to other Toy Story movies? I think it's very different um, than other Pixar movies. Like it has more of a, um, I don't want to say self-deprecating. I'm trying to think it's darker than more picked than other Pixar movies have been. Like (laughs) everything about Forky is so hilarious because it's so dark and terrible. Um, You know, it's him wrestling with like, Oh, I shouldn't be alive. I just need to die. Essentially like that. That's kind of the gist of his character. Typical millennial, right? Yeah. And, and that's not something we've seen in other Pixar movies. Um, But I think like, Every single character, like like you said, Ducky and Bunny were absolutely hilarious. I mean, Key and Peele are always really funny, um, but they did a great job with this and kind of bouncing off Buzz. Um, I think that you know the Duke of Boom was was very emotionally funny. Uh, the the standout to me that I, I always forget how much I love her performances, but Kristen Shaw um, is so 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 good in these movies. As I believe Buttercup is that her name? No, no, Buttercup's the unicorn. Yeah, uh, Trixie, I think is. Trixie, yes, yes, Trixie. She is so good, and I could use a thousand percent more uh, Trixie in these movies. Like she says, I, I have a question. Actually, no, I have all of them. I have all of the questions. <laughs> like such a well delivered line. Um, the only thing with the humor that I it didn't land quite as well with me. As much as I love the inner voice gag with Buzz, that was very funny. Buzz as a whole was kind of a dumb oaf in this movie. And I don't remember Buzz ever being that stupid um, ever since the first movie when he thought he was a space ranger. Um, it seemed he seemed a little off to me, which I guess echoes real life Tim Allen, but kind of kind of lost a step, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't quite the buzz I remembered, which it, it worked because it was Woody's movie, not Buzz's movie. Um but there were times when he made a joke and I was like, ah, oh, man, like, that's just, I just feel bad. Like, he's stupid. He's not funny. Yeah. He's like the toys. I think in Toy Story 3, right? It's, it's a big reason why they keep resetting him in some ways, because after the first movie, he's kind of like a toy scout kind of character where he's just pretty flat, pretty dry. He's really just there to be Woody's best friend. And right. I think three had a clever way of kind of making him a villain and kind of making him an obstacle and his Spanish mode is obviously standout. He doesn't really get anything fun like that here, except for a running gag involving his voice box that I, I think is okay. I think, I think it's funny. I think it, I would agree. It's probably one of the weaker parts of the movie. Yeah. But I mean, but I think again, that, that's kind of what I like about the movie as a whole is that it's about Woody and not, and Woody's always been my favorite character. Sure. And this is, 1000% his movie. And so he didn't bring the jokes, but where they really came from these outside sources, they worked. The combat Carl gag is so, so good. Um, <laughs> the high five thing. Oh yeah. man. That is, I don't know why, but I, I laughed so hard oh, yeah. at that. And you know, everything Forky did was there's a, there's a moment. I didn't notice it the first time around, but he's brushing Gabby Gabby's hair in one scene <laughs> and he's telling her how beautiful her hair is. And the, the brush is backwards. And so he's brushing her hair with a mirror and staring into bristles. 
and talking about her hair being so great. And like, I just, I don't have been watching a lot of Veep lately. And so I'm already very like, well, that's Tony Hale. And <laughs> everything about that moment, like I, I lost it the second time because I, I didn't realize it the first time around. It was, it was a great, great joke to me. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the characters a little bit. And Will, you can chime in on the humor as well. But yeah, let's let's talk about Forky. What, what do you think of these new characters starting with him, Will? Uh, Forky, I think he's great. Yeah, I would say of the new additions, I think Forky is probably my favorite. Um, going to your humor point, I think to kind of reiterate or uh, re-explain what I'm trying to say earlier, I don't. I do think the story here is pretty tight. I just think that because the film has so many characters in this point, in addition to the new ones introduced, and we have all obviously most of the other characters that are introduced in the other films, I just don't think everyone gets their moment to shine. I think the Buzz example is a perfect example of that because. Like I said, I mean, I, like you said, I mean, I think Buzz here is fine. Like, he's OK. Like, I, I think he has a couple good gags with that uh, voice mm-hmm. or voice thing, but it just doesn't quite land in a way to where like it just felt like he was in the movie because like he has to be in it. Like, you can't have a Toy Story movie without Buzz. But in the scheme of things, I don't think he adds quite as much as the other characters. And like you said, this is obviously Woody's movie, so it doesn't kill it by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would disagree with is I wasn't crazy about Duke Kaboom. I guess I was just expecting more because of all the marketing for him. And I, I love Keanu, so it has nothing to do with that. I just I think it's good. Just kind of like I saw what it was doing from the beginning, and I don't know if it really ever expanded that. But um, yeah, to answer your initial question, I think Forky and Gabby Gabby are definitely uh, two of my favorite new additions to this film. Um, and um, I don't know if we really got to know uh, um, Bonnie's dad in the last movie. I don't remember him playing. He's a big in the part. background, yeah. And, and here he actually has kind of a, a yeah. role. And he's he is right. oh I was really Jay Hernandez voices him and yeah. He was a very relatable kind of dad mm-hmm. character, yeah. Right. I actually thought he was one of the funniest characters in the film, uh, <laughs> even though his misfortune I definitely feel bad for. But um, yeah, it, it, that was just such a – all his moments I thought were pretty underrated as far as the comedy was concerned. But yeah, I mean, on the whole, I, I liked all the characters. I had fun with them, but I just feel like there may be – I think there's maybe one too many characters going on here that really make it a fully satisfying thing for me right now. But again, you guys seen it twice. I've only seen it once. Maybe the second viewing is what's really going to make it sing. It's it's weird, like which opinions have changed on the second. Like I liked Gabby Gabby much more the second time. Like the Agreed. first time, I wrote this in my review. I was like, man, she just feels like a Disney Channel kind of villain, basically harmless, not really that intimidating. It, but it is a very creepy sequence. I think the Benson ventriloquists are awesome, mainly because it's just such a Pixar thing. They don't even bring it up that the ventriloquist doll doesn't speak. It's just, it's just like gags like that that make you appreciate the details that they do in, in this entire yeah. movie, but especially that antique store. Remind me of um, the monkey from the third movie in some ways. Yeah, a little bit. The creep factor and yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, all that stuff really works for me this time around, especially Gabby Gabby. Some of the, the themes that I was really looking harder for, I was really kind of looking about how we won't get into it because of spoilers and all that, but there, there's something involving like what she really wants and her motivating factor that really clicked with me. Uh, on second viewing, Christina Hendricks voices that character, and mm-hmm. oh, it's brilliant! It's a brilliant vocal performance. And I want to, I, I gotta pay special attention to just Mel Brooks and Carol Burnett and Betty yeah. White and Carl Reiner all voice <laughs> some really brilliantly hilarious characters. If you actually look at their names in uh, an IMDb, Mel Brooks plays Melephant Brooks <laughs> and, and uh, Bitey White and carol burnett it's not even like cheryl burnett sorry it, it's fantastic so uh or, and carl rhinoceros um it, it's just like little things like that it's like you have like these amazing legendary actors in a toy story movie just kind of showing up for a small little scene 
but it just really rounds everything out and they, they get some brilliant conversation out of it. And yeah, I think that I, I share some of the, some of the little quibbles about how some of the characters don't really shine here. I think that's true. I do like that they they do have something to do. Like the film clearly addresses them at certain points and they get some fun things. Like I think buttercup actually gets kind of a funny gag that I wasn't expecting that that was definitely a character. I wasn't super, that wasn't super memorable for me. Jeff Garland's character. I think you're talking, about, you're talking about the gag that I'm thinking about with, oh. with the dad. Yes. Yeah, oh, man. Great. Oh, man. That's good stuff. Uh, I, I was laughing like crazy in this movie, but let's talk about the emotions. Charlie, did Toy Story 4 make you cry? Oh, 100%. Both times. Um, you know, it's, it, the, the beginning, like you talked about, that that, that set up in that, that opening scene um, back in, in nine years before the movie takes place, and you kind of see some of what happens with Woody and Bo. Um, that scene really, really hit me hard uh, under when they were under the car. Um, and then kind of the end, and there's a lot of, of really some mirror images to that, and that really kind of wells up what's going on. But, you know, that, that's all Toy Story nostalgia and, and, and kind of letting go and things like that. And that that is obviously emotional. But just on, on a personal level, what kind of what you see Woody going through um, in, in our stage of life, you know, between, you know, in the late 20s into your early 30s and kind of like this, we're looking at a completely different life than maybe we imagined or a different, definitely a different life than we've been living for the first 20 years, 25 years. Um, you're kind of looking ahead at, you know, at marriage and at starting families and at, you know, moving on from what you thought a career would be and growing up. And this is kind of where the first one, you know, or the, the third movie, uh, excuse me. Um, it was moving from one child to the next and it was always still their job. Taking care of a kid was their job. And this was, well, maybe, maybe that's not your job anymore and that's okay. You know, maybe you don't have to be beholden to, oh, I got to take care of this kid and make sure they're fine. You know, like that, there's a line that Buzz has at the very end of the movie. Um, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where he says one thing and kind of Woody hears him, but then he realizes that Woody doesn't really hear him and he clarifies what he meant. And that line is is what, what really hits me where, you know, no, it's, it's going to be fine. Like, it's not what you thought it was going to be, but that's okay. Hmm. And we have to roll with that punch and, and you're going to, you're going to be happy if you just let yourself accept kind of what you're growing into. And, and that, that exchange there uh, at the kind of the final scene of the movie really, um, really, really hits home for me. Yeah. I think watching this movie was weird because I think it was the first toy story. You called it like the first like adult Pixar movie. And when I was watching it, I was like, Oh, this, this really isn't speaking to our generation as much anymore. It, it, it's kind of splitting its difference between Younger viewers, of course, who will love the humor and the new characters and, you know, they'll, they'll watch this a ton of times. But I, I can imagine, like, grandparents watching mm-hmm. this 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 movie with their grandkids. And this movie feels more like for them, like our parents, basically. Because, right. you know, our generation, we're starting our own families, like you said. And this really is less a film about growing up and moving on and more about just what you do as an empty nester. And that's a very specific idea that I, I know I empathize with a lot because I thought about my parents constantly through Woody. Uh, there, there's a, a line of dialogue where Woody is just, he's explained to Forky, I mean, what happens when the kid moves on? That, that's where it got me. <laughs> that's where mm-hmm. uh started started to choke up a little bit. And uh, I definitely, I think the, the ending of this one was, was also very, very sad, very, in a good way, very emotional. But, you know, that, that's the sort of thing we can, we've come to expect from, from these Pixar's but uh, what about you, Will? Uh, did I cry? Is that the question? Yeah. How many times did you cry? We know you did. Oh, I didn't cry, but no, I got no, a little misty. I, I, <laughs> I don't cry during movies. It's um, it's like the Hannibal Burris bit. 
Uh, it's just, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, the Hannibal Burris bit where he talks about the beginning of Up, where he's like, I know real people who've died. Like, I'm not going to get upset about an old guy whose head is as big as his body. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel at times about... Uh, you monster. Crying. I know. It's a great <laughs> bit. I, I, I'm not doing it justice. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Um, but no, I mean, I, I got misty-eyed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's not... I wasn't crying tears, but I mean, it definitely is an emotional ending. And I think for me, like those final moments, even though I was digging uh, what was coming before it, I do think the ending is really was like, okay, I understand now totally why Pixar was like, we're going to risk it and make a fourth Toy Story movie. Um, To me, it kind of feels like if um, the end of Toy Story 3 is like the emotional climax of the the series, that's like the like to Lord of the Rings terms that you were referring to, like when they go and drop the ring into Mordor, like that's like the accomplishment. Like this is like the, all those endings and like the it's like the epilogue of the the story, mm. and um, it's like all those different endings at the end, like the three or five endings yeah. at the end of Return of the King, and it wraps up it. a lot of things. Yeah, it's it wraps up a lot of things. I love all the stuff with Bonnie, or sorry, not Bonnie, but Peep. Um, that you were alluding to at the beginning. And I do agree with you. I think animation wise, uh, just looking at it as far as uh, pure animation, like the visual style of the film, I think this is some of the best animation that not only is in any Pixar movie, but what like it's like up there with like, I'd say Wally and Finding Nemo in terms of uh, quality animation oh, yeah. from Pixar. Yeah. Uh, so I was really impressed with that. But yeah, I mean, as, as a story, yeah, I, I do think that ending, even just that last line, like it, it, it's a little cheesy, but it's cheesy in just that right way. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I do think, when that ending hit, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm really glad you guys went ahead and made this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, this yeah. one hit me pretty hard. And I, I love, I love how they reclaim Bo Peep a little bit. Th- that was always a character who, you know, I felt, I felt for Woody kind of missing her and, uh, you know, in Toy Story three, but she was never a character that really had much agency or individuality beyond she loves Woody. And in this movie, they, they actually tell that story and they, it, that's why I feel like, even though we didn't think that this would be essential, I, I do think this actually has a lot to add to that first trilogy. In some ways, it makes that trilogy better because Bo Peep, for example, does get her ending. She actually gets her story told and in a way that's interesting. And, and I think the same thing with Woody. Woody is a character who I, I didn't think... I, I know this might sound sacrilegious, but I do remember at the end of Toy Story 3 kind of feeling that... Yeah, I was good with the trilogy ending there, but I I didn't fully buy that Woody's story was over. I, I felt like there was something kind of missing there. And I think there is still something missing in Toy Story 4. Not that there should be a Toy Story 5. If it ends here, please make that the case. I, I don't think these characters, it's done. No more. I mean, it's it's done to an extent. It It's not going to be fully done. But it's done, if that makes sense. You can do you can do shorts, you can do little things, whatever. But another movie, no. And and I yeah. think the box office is probably bearing that out where they're seeing it as like, okay, this isn't gonna the diminishing returns are real. We don't want to hurt our brand identity by cashing in on this anymore. I hope that's the case. And and these characters, we don't need another movie with them. I, I think we're good. I think the third movie really brilliantly wrapped up all of these characters. And I think Woody was the outlier. In a lot of ways in Toy Story 3, you see that Woody is the character who's very different from everybody else in his loyalty to Andy. And Forky even says it in this movie. He's like, I don't think he ever got over it. And I think that is the case. And I'm glad that this movie kind of addresses that. And it, I think it does. And so I think we're good. I, I hope it ends there on, on that note. But who knows? Who, who knows what Pixar has up its sleeve? Uh, I wrote a, a thing about that's going to be coming out this week about the future of Pixar, what comes next for this studio in like a, a post Toy Story 4 world. 
And one of the things that I think is unique about these movies is they sort of bookend certain Pixar eras. Uh, talked about this a little bit with TJ Olsis from um, Pixar Post a few months, uh, not a few months, like last year. And we, we talked about whether or not Pixar is declining. And one of the things we talked about was that every Toy Story movie kind of signals the beginning and end of something. Uh, the first Toy Story was the beginning of Pixar. Uh, Toy Story 2 ushered in a whole new decade considered to be Pixar's best. In eight years, they came out with all of these original films that a lot of we've mentioned that have just gone on to define Pixar as one of one of the best, you know, filmmaking studios out there. And then Toy Story 3 kind of bookended that in a good way, ended it on a good note, and kind of ushered in what I consider a more complicated decade for Pixar, where you have your Inside Outs, you have your Cocos, but then Good Dinosaur and Brave, they don't really click with people. And Cars 2 and Monsters University and Finding Dory, two of those films are pretty good in my opinion. One of them's great. And Cars 3, of course. But, you know, they feel like sequels. They don't they don't have that same Pixar touch that a lot of people would argue. Uh, there's even a book called The Pixar Touch, actually, that came out last decade. And it, it feels like they just don't have that same magic. Incredibles 2 as well. And now we have Toy Story 4 kind of ending this decade on kind of an interesting note because what we have next is five Pixar movies in a row that are going to be completely original. So I want to know, Charlie, what are your thoughts on this next phase of Pixar movies? Are you excited? Are you trepidatious? Where are you at? Well, I, I'm I'm very excited on multiple occasions or on multiple reasons. You know, one, just to add on what you said, I think it is also interesting that Toy Story 3 is the first movie that came out in this decade for Pixar and Toy Story 4 is the last movie of this decade. I mean, 2010, their first film was Toy Story 4. The last film in 2019 is is their toy story theater and toy story four right. um so like numerically it is a solid decade start to finish um with these two movies bookending it but um i mean I, i'm really excited about onward coming out i love the voice cast attached to it i love the idea of having a fantasy element we haven't seen that in pixar before um well we got it with brave a little bit a, a little bit but like really the like the dragons and the yeah. you know the elves and all these different you know, mystical things and kind of what shrek could have been in Pixar world. I kind of see that a little bit, a little tie to that. Um, Calm down, Will. Don't don't attack him. <laughs> Let him speak. Um, yeah, I have a really complicated, good relationship with my brother, and I'm excited to kind of see how how that feels seeing this movie. Um, Soul, I don't know anything about, but I'm I can't wait for another Pete Doctor film. Yeah. I think one of my favorite Pixar shorts ever is Bao, and the fact that Domi Shi is making a feature length film, I cannot yes. wait to see what it is. Um and what I was kind of hinting at when when I, when you were when you were talking a minute ago um, about the future of Pixar, I think so much hinges on Disney Plus. Um, you know, they've started they've stopped doing the animated shorts before theatrical movies because they're kind of getting these shorts in these programs on YouTube. Spark shorts, and we, we right. don't, and they're claiming it's not permanent that they they still have shorts coming. But yeah, it, it feels very strange for Pixar, and you know, I think that we also we've never seen what Pixar can do with television, and we're actually going to see what that looks like now. You know, they're doing well, the monsters. They're at- not. They're not doing it. So there, there is a right. show coming out called Monsters at Work. Yeah, Pixar is helping, but they're not making that show. That right. show's coming from like a special, you know, kind of like Disney tune, but for TV. Wasn't right. there um, a Buzz Lightyear show at one point? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's a fantastic show. Okay. The so Star they had it on TV before. Yeah. Um, but that was 2D animation, though. Right. So it was, it kind of felt different. You know, this is where, you know, Disney tunes kind of almost felt like a ripoff. I don't know how Monsters at, Monsters at Work is going to look, but the fact that they got John Goodman and Billy Crystal doing the voices for, yeah. you know, Mike Zully and but they're not main characters in that show. It's like cameos. It's kind of like Fuller House. Yeah. But they're going to appear and it is going to feel like Monsters Inc. to yeah. people. And I think 
what they've done in Toy Story 4 was introduce these characters that have the opportunity to exist on that platform. You know, um, a great example, a character I really loved in this movie that we haven't really talked much about was Giggle McDimples. Yeah, Allie Mackie. Allie Mackie, she's a good friend of mine. I love her to death. And I was so pumped she was in a Toy Story movie. And I look at that character as like, here's a little, a small character that wasn't a major part of the story, but has a lot of history that can be explored and has her own story that they can tell um, that could anchor something like it could anchor a 10 episode little series made by Pixar or not, but continuing these stories, you know, there's this Pixar short films that they did before, um, you know, the, the uh, Toy Story that time forgot uh, the Toy Story of Terror, you know, all those things um, did. Disney plus gives that gives that a platform for those to exist, you know? Um, and I think that while yes, Pixar is going in this original direction that I'm very, very excited about. I think all the franchises that we love are not getting sequels because they're going to get spinoff sequels in their own kind of way on Disney plus. We're going to continue to see those characters that we really love. I would be, I would be thoroughly surprised if we didn't see something come out of cars for toy story player for Disney plus, um, because that's just for whatever reason, such a bankable thing in their minds. Um, you know, we got these characters that we are going to get to keep playing with in other formats going forward, I think. Yeah, I like your optimism. And yeah, I, I, there another spinoff I don't think you mentioned was there is going to be a 10 episode short form series called Forky Asks a Question. Oh, I forgot about that. Th- that's going to be on Disney Plus. And I think from what I can tell, I think those episodes are going to be like a minute to a minute and a half long. It'll mm. almost feel like little featurettes, right? And yeah, and there's going to be a short film about uh, what Bo Peep was up to. Uh, in the years before Toy Story 4. It's called Lamp Life. So yeah, I think you're right. I think they are kind of putting attention on that. Instead of doing like Cars 4, you know, they might do something else that's like mm-hmm. Disney Plus centric. And because I think we we talked about this a lot last week, so I don't want to overstate it. But the things that succeed in theaters, they're not Cars 4. It's, it's not going to be Toy Story 5. It's got to be like an event movie. It's got to be something that really feels like it needs to be seen on the big screen. And I think the rules are changing a little bit. And I think Disney is seeing that in a lot of different ways. And hopefully they're kind of applying those really rough lessons to how they're going to be handling Pixar's resources. But yeah, Will, we've talked a lot about this. Uh, how, how are you feeling about Pixar Phase 4, I guess this is? Uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited. I mean, I like I said, I've liked all the Pixar movies to date. Only I just like them to maybe a lesser extent, the, the new ones, um, because, you know, like Fine Dory, I thought was OK or is decent. Um, Cars 3 is all right, but it was very forgettable. Um, I really liked Incredibles 2. And um, what was the other sequel? I'm forget it's or Monsters University. It was a prequel. Yeah. which I actually really liked. I think, uh, to your point, John, I agree that that movie, I think it gets weirdly overlooked for uh, reasons that aren't justified mm-hmm. uh, as far as Pixar's lineage. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like their movies, but I do think that the movies that have really shined beyond the Toy Story movies and, in my opinion, Incredibles 2, uh, were the original ones, Inside Out and Coco. And so I would love to see those original stories again. Onward and Soul do sound like the type of Pixar movies I've been wanting to see more of. Yeah. Uh, away from the sequels and you know as much as i love the characters that are introduced in these past movies i just kind of want something that's new i want new characters introduced from pixar's lore i want to see the new filmmakers get a chance to shine uh so yeah i'm very excited about what this future can bring and i mean you know i'm cool with the um Pic- disney plus stuff i don't know when i'll check those out i probably won't see them as immediately as when they hit but i'm glad that they exist and you know certainly they're 
viable ways for Disney to continue branding their most popular content. But yeah, I definitely would rather see original new Disney film or Pixar movies at this point. Yeah, I think we agree. And I think that of all the sequels, they're not working on any sequels right now, or at least that's what they're saying. I think the only sequel I see happening realistically is Incredibles 3. That's the only one I think that they're going to try to go for again, but probably not for a while. Yeah, it's going to be a long time, especially because Brad Bird, like... He, they won't do it without Brad Bird. Like he yeah. has to be the one doing it. And so, you know, the fact that he hasn't said anything and he's kind of very like, I don't want to make another one until yeah. I have a story. Like yeah. it could be another 10 years before we see that happen. Yeah. It probably won't be 14 years like last time, but yeah, you're right. It's probably right. going to be like a decade or so. And it's probably going to be the next book ending sort of chapter for Pixar. Maybe we'll get that toward the end of the next decade, maybe a lot sooner. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, as much as I love Incredibles 2, I do think one of the bigger flaws of that movie was that the ending was kind of rushed. I think you can kind of tell, uh, especially mm-hmm. upon like revisiting that, like he kind of had to condense or he had to work on the ending faster than he wanted. So I imagine if, they, if there is going to be a third movie, he's going to be like, if you let me make this, let me make it on my own time. Like, let me feel happy and like bring a complete script and feel like I've got something that's like a good bookend for the series. And so I feel like that there probably will be a day where Toy Story or sorry, Incredibles 3 uh, comes to be. But yeah, it'll probably be, like you said, probably you know, 10 or 12 years from now. And yeah, I'm give, me, give me a, give me a three hour Incredibles three. I don't care. Sure. Let me, Make, let me have me, Brad Bird do whatever you want. It's fine. Give me the Logan of Incredibles. <laughs> <laughs> the noir cut. Real quick, I do want to mention, yeah, this was this was the last time we heard Mr. Potato Head. Uh, Don Rickles passed away in 2017, and just want to point that out. Yeah, just, I, I like that they gave him a, a good send-off, and they used his previously recorded stuff, but yeah, you can kind of tell he, he doesn't have as big of a presence in this movie. How do we feel about that? I wanted to ask you guys that, because I feel, I, I, I think Sad? it's fine. No, no, I mean, not, not about Don Rickles' death, about using his dialogue, like, posthumously, like, not actually using any real recorded lines, but, like, through the family's blessing, like, using past lines i don't know if, if you guys i felt a little weird about that going in i'm glad mm-hmm. that there was only like a handful of lines but there is something about this feel kind of weird to me i don't know if you guys felt that way i, I didn't necessarily feel that because i mean i i don't he's such a part of that you know and the potato head voice is such a part of that and he felt there because you could see him you know mm-hmm, and yeah. it's kind of like a couple of lines here and there just to like hey like it's potato head and i mean if they would have kind of piece together different things to construct new dialogue and kind of give him an arc and a message. I really, I think I would have really felt off put by it, but a couple of little lines there just to remind people, you know, Hey, potato heads always Don Rickles right. um, as will be. I, I, I appreciated how, how they approached that and how um, gentle they were with it. And um, so I, I, I didn't really have, have much issue with it there at all. I mean, I guess for me, it's just my concern is that like, it's not so much about this film. And I mean, I should also note that Jim Varney also passed away between two and three and they hired a different voice actor for him. And uh, I, I'm worried more about like what this trend might bring, because like it's no secret at this point that big studios, particularly um, Disney, I think maybe even after Paul Walker's death, like they like have like digital coatings of like actors faces. And so like if something happens, they can like digitally recreate actors. And I feel like that's kind of like a weird futuristic trend that's going to happen now. And I get a little concerned about. I think that takes more work, though, than just re voice casting like I mean, the less drastic right. example of that is they had to get a new voice actor for Dash and Incredibles 2, and they were able to right. do that. And like and you said, Andy. Jim Varney. Um, well, Andy was played by the... Well, yeah, Andy in Toy Story 2. Well, and 4 and 3, I think. Right? No, no, that's uh, it's it's John Morris. Uh, he voices Andy in 1, and then he they age him up. So like that's actually him, the real hmm. Andy in, in Toy Story 3. Yeah. But in four, it's a different kid, but it's only a small. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got like some other kid to do like the younger Andy, but I think John Morris does have a speaking part in Toy Story 4. He's credited. But hmm. uh, 
I, I would say, I mean, I think the the best version of like the best way they ever did this was probably in Cars Three, where with Doc Hudson because yeah. they had that recorded audio already with Paul Newman and they were able to sort of like do that. And you can't do that every time. And I think yeah, they didn't really have an opportunity for that with Don Rickles. And I'm right. not against it. I I think that. It, it is a way to sort of like, it, it's better than the alternative, like drawing attention. Like, what are you going to say? Like, Dr. Potato Head's not here anymore. I think it would be more noticeable that way. I would just recast it, I'd say. See, I don't know. I don't think you can. Yeah, Don Rickles is such a, you know, specific. I know, but I mean, I feel like if it's, I feel like in this example, like if it's only a handful of lines, like, like, like I said, like, I mean, like people don't really pay attention to Jim Varney not being there, even though, I mean, this voice sounds a little different. I do think, I mean, if it's going to be such a minor role, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, it's not a big thing. It's just I, something I just wanted to kind of talk about because I was curious. Sure, guys sure. I, I think it's in this case, it's different because he doesn't have as many lines, period. And I don't think any of the characters of those characters really do. So I don't know. I, I think that it works out in this. In this, I don't have any problems with it personally. I think it works out better because you have Bonnie's toys that kind of mix with them last movie. You know, in the first couple of movies, you relied on Ham and Potato Head almost every time for that rebuttal and for that funny line. You know, when something happened... Mm-hmm. They were kind of the audience, like, what's going on kind of voice. Yeah. And now we have Trixie and Buttercup to kind of step into those lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it was it made that a lot easier to like, hey, we, if we give him two to three lines of stuff he's already recorded, you know, just to make his presence kind of feel felt, then I, I think it'll work out. Um, yes, I think those those toys really gave it a hand in that scenario. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, to my, I mean, just to be clear, like I love Don Rickles. Like Mr. Potato Head is like one of my top like three or four favorite characters in uh, Toy Story. So I would definitely, if it was a different voice coming out, I would feel very sad. And it did. I mean, it hit me when his vo- voice came out this time because you know, yeah. like knowing that he passed, like it was like an emotional moment. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something that's like I, I'm. I'm more like uh, on the fence about them making it seem like it's just something that it's not so much about this movie. It's just I'm worried that this is a trend or something like that the, Disney's the gonna precedent feel. The precedent of the scent. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. If Disney feels emboldened to keep doing stuff like this, I'm just worried what this will, what will become of this like trend. So it's not, this is like a very minor like case of this. And I think ultimately, like in this case, I'm fine with them doing it this way. I'm just worried that if they feel okay doing it like this time, like how many times are they going to feel okay doing this? That's where my concern comes. All right. Well, Rounding this out, I did forget to mention uh, Josh Cooley directed this, his first film for Pixar. He's been a storyboard artist in the past. He did the screenplay uh, or helped with the screenplay for Inside Out. And I've met Josh Cooley before. I think you've met him too, Charlie. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big fan. I think Josh is awesome. I agree. Uh, Very, very great guy. Very, very great collaborator. Very good storyteller. And you can tell. You know, he. I think he was perfect for this project. Uh, Jonas Rivera also produced this with Mark Nielsen, and Jonas, of course, worked on Inside Out as well as a producer. Uh, Andrew Stanton did the screenplay with Stephanie Folsom, and you can really tell because Andrew Stanton, I think, is probably their best at humor, <laughs> and you know, he's obviously done a lot of story work with previous Pixar movie or previous Toy Story movies, but yeah, you really that. T- kind of like finding Nemo, finding Dory sort of humor is in this one. And I think it works well. Uh, we already mentioned John Lasseter and how all that sort of shook down, but we didn't really mention that John Lasseter's kind of personal story is still all over this movie. Uh, he's talked about how the romance, the central romance in here is kind of based on his romance with his wife, Nancy. So we'll just put that out there, uh, considering what happened with him. And then, yeah, we mentioned Mishita Jones, Will McCormick, but also the story, it was worked on by a lot of people 
uh, with uh, with Pixar ties. I mean, Pete Docter and uh, Valerie Lapointe and Josh Cooley, of course, as we mentioned, Martin Hines. Uh, it, it's so amazing to me that Pixar is so collaborative. You can have so many people working on these movies, and what you get is something that doesn't feel like it's made by commu- committee, even though everybody seems to have a voice. And I'm very impressed that Toy Story 4 does have a specific vision to it. I think Pixar kind of beats that usual pitfall by the fact that Pixar itself is almost a director in these films and they have such a clear identity. They have like a clear set of standards and, and how they want their movies to be seen. Like a weird uh, auteur angle in a weird way for Pixar, I guess. Yeah. Their, their brand is their auteur. So yeah. like you can have Josh Cooley step in, do a great job directing, but you really have to credit the way this movie works to the entire ensemble of filmmakers. And that's been true for a lot of time, for a long time with these Pixar movies. Uh, I was actually surprised Ronnie Del Carmen didn't work on this because I thought some of the really tight storytelling tends to be because of him and uh, not, not to underplay anybody else who, who worked on this, but uh, it, it's just the kind of thing where sometimes these, the, with the exception of maybe Brad Bird, the director usually tends to be very important, like with Pete Docter, but at the same time, everybody in here has such an equal hand in how these films do and how well they turn out. So I just wanted to point that out there. And uh, we didn't mention Duke Kaboom was voiced by Keanu Reeves. I, I don't want to feed into just this weird worship of Keanu Reeves lately. I don't understand it. I, I love Keanu Reeves, but it's like people forgot that he was a big star in the 90s. And th- he's not a revelation, people. He's just been awesome this entire time. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it is giving him credit for being like a good guy for so long. So I sure. don't, it's not like one of those things like, like, I'm fine with it. Like, I think it's charming more than anything else. Just like, well, if all things are going wrong in the world, at least Keanu's still there. So it's yeah, fine. I think that's a good way to look at it. Right. But yeah, I do agree. It's like, it's getting kind of weird right now. It's getting like kind of fetishist in a weird way. It's just like, yeah. like, it's like, like, it's getting to a point where it's like, if he does anything wrong, like anything, like if he like accidentally like drops an ice cone, ice cream cone on somebody, it's going to be like, why could you, how could you do this, Keanu? Like, we you are the chosen. So I guess it's turning in, people are starting to have a kink Anu Reeves obsession. Uh, Oh no. no. It wasn't even good. Let's get into our final grades uh, for Toy Story for starting with you, Will Ashton. Uh, How how would you grade this one? Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think uh, beyond the points I've made already, I think one thing I do want to stress about this movie is that like, I find it very impressive that they take the idea of like, why does this movie need to exist? Like, does a reason does this movie have a reason to exist? And they incorporate that into the story with Forky. Yeah, I think we've alluded to that earlier, but I just feel like there's something about that where it's just like the movie. I think as we were talking about with the humor and stuff, it's a little like more self-aware and meta in that respect. Like all the movies, I think are aware of themselves. And I think you put very well, John, I think like the, the magic of all these sequels is that like they complement each one. Like, it's not only that they're just a good story in this continued story, that they like they add something to the viewing experience when you go back and watch the first one or the second one or the third one. And I think that's the case here as well. Um, to me, yeah, like I said, it, the, first, the first three movies, they their own separate thing. That's the Andy story. I think that's a complete trilogy. This feels like an epilogue. And I think it's good. I don't think it feels quite as vital as the other three films before it in that respect. Um, I, I think if you didn't see this movie, it wouldn't feel like, oh, like you're missing like something like you, you, you didn't get the full story. But at the same time, like I do think having this film does make this the series richer and it does make it feel even more emotionally impacting and more, more rich than I was anticipating going into it so in that respect I will see it again at some point and I can see my grade maybe going higher if I like you guys uh had a bigger experience with it with the second time but for me right now just based on my first viewing I'm gonna give it a pretty high b plus wow 
All right, very high. Uh, what about you, Charlie Ridgely? Um, yeah, it, it's no secret that I, I love this movie, and uh, I think it is the most deeply personal of the Toy Story movies. You know, uh, at least since the first one, if not in addition to, um, it, it's focused so much more on one character. And I don't know if it's a personal thing to me, but I love that so much to really explore the evolution of one single character as opposed to to a few at a time. And uh, I think, it, like you, John, I think it was really, really tight in its storytelling. It was really funny. It was really scary at parts, which I really appreciate. Um, overall, I, it's hard for me to find something I don't love about this movie outside of maybe Buzz. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with an A. I, I think this this really did a great job and really knocked it out of the park. All right. Very high grade, very high marks. And I can't, can't blame you for that. I'm, I'm teetering on an A minus. It, it's so close. In my, in my first watch, I was a very hearty B plus. I was like, man, this, this is just a really good movie. Really great. Just really, you know, I, I love that the idea of like, this movie is like, why do I exist? Why am I alive? And that is the story. And the way that that ties into Woody and Forky, it's just good writing. And, you know, when I think of this, is, is this essential viewing? Is it a must see? And I think, Will, what you said there, you know, and then it's kind of echoing a little bit of what I was saying, but I, I think that's it. You know, it's this c- kind of adds to those other Toy Story movies. So I think I, I got to bump it up just slightly to an A minus at this point after seeing it a second time. Um, for that reason, and also as I was alluding to, really the Gabby Gabby villain kind of uh, kind of turned me around on, on some things that I was looking down on a little bit. I still think this movie is missing a little bit of something, like a little bit of that like magic of the first three that just really makes it feel like something completely new. But I do think it still adds things. I do think there are still some really inventive storytelling ideas here. And I I think that it would be a much lesser movie if it had been as downbeat and kind of emotional as the third one. Instead, it's more fun. It's a bit of a spinoff adventure story, but I'm really glad that they nailed the landing on it and they were able to finish it out with a purpose that really feels like the other movies were setting this up. They weren't necessarily but they kind of create that illusion that th- this movie was inevitable and I'm very impressed that they pulled that off. So yeah, I think that's about an A minus average between the three of us. Uh, critics love this movie as we were talking about 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I can definitely see why. And we'll see we'll see how the box office does moving forward. We'll see if it picks up even more steam and uh, becomes one of, uh, one of one of the Pixar sequels. Probably not going to be as big of a hit as Incredibles 2 and Finding Dory, but uh, certainly a big hit in its own right. For, for all of the Pixar films, which if you really look at the Pixar films, a lot of the really original ones, they tend to not make as much money. The, the sequels are where all the cash comes in. So that that's if you're wondering why Pixar keeps making sequels, that's why. So that said, we'll finish out the show with what we're talking about next week. We'll be discussing Annabelle Comes Home, which is hitting wide release. Uh, also, I'm going to be seeing yesterday, uh, this coming Tuesday. And that's oh, going to be here. opening up on wide release. Cannot wait to talk about yesterday with oh, you, boy. Will, because Beatles... The Beatles are one of just my favorite anythings. Um, I don't want to just say music, but I I've, can't I have, believe it. I have a huge obsession with the Beatles. Can't believe it. Somebody who's loves and obsessed with the Beatles. It's, I mean, it's a rare thing these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bob Dylan fans need to, to come around. They're just too many. Oh, I love Bob Dylan. Yeah. I actually got to watch that uh, documentary. I think I'll watch it next week and talk. About oh, the yeah. Roll Tide review or yeah. Rolling Thunder mm-hmm. review. That's what it's called. The Scorsese thing. Yeah. I really want to see that as well. Yeah, I, I'm just joking because obviously there's. It feels like most people love the Beatles, and then if you don't like the Beatles, you like maybe Bob Dylan or something like that. I love both. Well, Rolling Stones, but I mean that's and like Rolling the, Stones. Yeah, I mean that's usually because there was like a rivalry between them. Like, yeah. I mean, not like not among the, the the bands, like the fans. They were like, you know, you kind of had to be one or the other in some respects for a time. There, yeah, but. in the late '60s. 
that's some music history that we can talk about on our music yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and our review of yesterday. Uh, looking oh, forward yeah, to that. There you go. Um, and then also Maiden and Ophelia are going to be hitting limited release if you're interested in those films. Julia Tatey wrote a great review of Ophelia on cinemaholics.com. You should definitely check that out. I don't know too much about Maiden, but uh, I'll be keeping my eye out for that and some other films that I've been looking forward oh. to that are taking their sweet time getting to the Bay Area. So there's that. I want to, um, before I forget, speaking of uh, sharing things, I wanted to also recommend that listeners check out your uh, piece about Toy Story 4 related to Gabby Gabby. I thought that was oh. really great. So I wanted, I wanted to make sure listeners know to check that out. Thank you. Yeah, I for- totally. Not that I forgot about that, but I didn't really think to bring it up. But yes, I did write an addition to my review of Toy Story 4, which is on cinemaholics.com. On my own site, johnagrony.com, I wrote about re- really my thoughts on Gabby Gabby in general. Uh, it, it's about disability. It's about uh, kind of a personal story of mine. So if you're interested in that, uh, that is also on johnagrony.com just my name and uh yeah definitely definitely let me know what you think i'm glad you checked it out well yeah for sure let's let's uh let's get, say goodbye for now uh thanks <laughs> charlie for coming on and talking to us about toy story i'm sure it was, it was t- as much fun for you as it was for us <laughs> well i really appreciate it i was glad you reached out because any excuse to talk about pixar and toy story is going to be a uh, going to be exciting for me uh people can find your stuff on comicbook.com we'll also be linking to your twitter of course, in the show notes, definitely check that out. Uh, again, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can leave a review to help support us. And if you want to hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter, all that stuff is in the show notes as well, along with our email, Patreon, all that good stuff. We'll see you all next week from the Internet California. I am John Agurney. For the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. And for, from this weekend, from the Internet Baltimore, I'm Charlie Ridgely. We'll see you next time. So long, partner. <laughs>